Well, if you would remain standing, we are thankful to have our good friend, Dr. Mark Futado, come and bring us the word again as he comes now. Our scripture reading this morning comes uh, once again from the book of Joshua, the first uh, nine verses of chapter one, and I'm reading from the New International Version this morning. Let's give careful attention to the public reading of God's words. It's found in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous." Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give to them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word to each of our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your word, your word which is truth and who has called us to engage in the study of that word. We pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we might see wonderful things in this word, that together we might grow in our knowledge of you and ourselves and the world that you have made, that we might more enjoy the calling you have given to us, and that we might honor you more along the path. Praying in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be seated, please. Well, how many of you know at least one person this morning who could use a little bit of encouragement? Uh, How many of you yourselves could use a little bit of encouragement? Uh, We all need encouragement along the way. How many of you have accomplished in life what you have accomplished? Whatever that is, you've accomplished what you've accomplished because someone was there to encourage you. Uh, Many of us have accomplished what we've done just because of encouragers in our lives. Somebody once said that many people go much further than they ever thought they could because somebody else thought they could. Many people go much further than they ever thought they could because somebody else thought they could. God knows that we need encouragement 
always along the way, but especially in times of transition. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 15 that the whole scripture was given to encourage us. That's the word. So that through the instruction of the scriptures, we might have hope. And um, God this morning gives us three words of encouragement. Uh, we're at the end of a three-part mini-series on Joshua 1, 1 to 9. And in verses 1 and 2, God gave us our task. And in short, that task is to enter into heaven and to bring other people with us. Now, God knows that we would need some support for carrying out that task. And so in verses 3 through 5, he gives us three promises. He promises that the task will be accomplished, that no obstacles will be too great, and most fundamentally, he promises that he'll be present with us through the whole process. Now, you'd think that would be enough and the text would be over, and so would the series. Uh, What more do we need? God has given us our task, and he's blessed us by giving us three promises to bolster us in taking care of that task. What more could you want? Well, God knows our hearts, and so God so graciously and compassionately adds three words of encouragement to these three words of promise. So that's our text this morning, verses 6 through 9, where God gives us this threefold word of encouragement. Did you notice when we were reading verse 6? Be strong and courageous. Then verse 7, be strong and very courageous. And then verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. God is good. He not only gives us a task so that we know where we're headed and what we're to be about in time of transition, but he bolsters us in that task by giving us three words of promise. And then he just underscores those promises by giving us these three wonderful words of encouragement. So let's take some time this morning before our celebration of the Lord's Supper and look at each one of these words of encouragement. First of all, be encouraged because you will succeed. As we talked briefly in the last sermon, it is encouraging to us when we know that something that we're going to set about to do uh, is going to be accomplished. And so here God starts with something very similar. He just says, you know, you have a task as a church. You have a task as families. And I know you're in transition. And I just want you to be encouraged because I just want to tell you up front that you're going to be successful in that task. That's verse 6. Remember verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Now, just two things here. Uh, One, your success as a church in making it all the way to heaven and bringing other people with you, well, as a matter of fact, it's your responsibility. Nobody else can do it for you. It is the task that God has given to you And your slice of that pie, he has given to no other congregation. It's your task. It's your responsibility. God said to Joshua, you will lead these people. That was a task that was given explicitly to Joshua, to no one else. And there's there's an emphasis in the Hebrew text on that you. Uh, Hebrew is what we call a fusional language. 
It's, uh, it's uh, I, I think, Spanish. I don't know any Spanish, but I think the little bit I do know that Spanish is a fusional language. Um, anybody know Spanish here? How would you, how would you say, I love? Hablo? Amo. How about, uh, what would ama be? Okay, you see, it's just, there's no, there are no pronouns used, right? It's not like English. I can't just say love. Because if I just say love, you say, well, who's to love? I have to add pronouns. I love, you love, he, she loves. Hebrew doesn't do that. It's like Spanish. The word contains everything. It contains the action. It contains the pronouns. And, um, however, Hebrew does have pronouns. I, you, he, she. And sometimes a pronoun is added to the verb. You don't need it. So if you're adding to it, if you say, uh, like, uh, instead of just saying um, lead, you say you, you will lead, you add that pronoun, there's an emphasis on the you. And that's what God does when he's preaching to Jonah. He says you, you will lead, making it clear that this is Joshua's responsibility. And the task that God has given you to make it all the way to heaven together as a congregation to bring other people with you, it's your task. It's a clear responsibility. So your success really depends on how you carry out your responsibilities. However, your success also depends on God's sovereign grace. That's why the text goes on to say, not only you will lead, but you will lead just as I promised. So we have to look at that promise for a moment. It refers to that land that I swore to the patriarchs, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And that language at the end of verse 6 takes us back to Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, God had said to Abraham, he said, you are going to inherit the land of promise, something that Joshua was just about to lead the people to do. And, um, oh, I'm not surprised. Abraham was a man just like us. Abraham responded to God by saying, how will I know that's really going to be the case? So God gives him a promise But he's human. He's like us. He just doesn't say, okay, God promised me I'm on my way. He still had doubts. He still had questions in spite of the promises of God, which is why God not only gives us three promises, but adds three words of encouragement to it. He said, how will I know? And God answered him in a very strange way. God said, I want you to take some small animals, you know, some birds and things, and I want you to cut those birds in two. And then I want you to put them in two rows, one down this side and one down this side. And then God put Abram into a deep sleep. And um, while he was sleeping, and you can't quite tell whether it was a dream or whether he was awake, but it really doesn't matter, this fiery torch from heaven came down and it passed between those pieces of the birds that were cut up. That's a rather strange response to the simple question, how will I know the promise that we'll inherit the land is true? Strange to us, but not strange to Abraham, because he lived in that ancient world. He got it immediately. 
We speak of, in the Bible, of God making covenants. But the Hebrew text doesn't really say make a covenant. It really says cut a covenant. Kind of like cut a deal. I don't know where that idiom comes from. But I do know where the idiom of cut a covenant comes from. When covenants were made, animals were typically cut in half and put in two rows. And then one of the two parties in the covenant had to walk between the pieces. And by walking between the pieces, the person who did that walking was actually saying, may I be cut in two, like these animals have been cut in two, if I don't do everything that is my responsibility to make sure that whatever's promised in this covenant comes to realization. Uh, They did other things. Uh, They would do things like, uh, if there was a big king and a little king and they made a covenant, when they were making the covenant, the big king would like have a wax doll and, and he would like cut off the head of the wax doll and he would say, May your head be cut off like this wax doll's head's cut off if you fail to keep your end of the bargain. Or they would make like a wax uh, replica of the little king's palace. And then while they were making the covenant, they would set it on fire and melt it. May your palace be burned to the ground like this palace is burned to the ground if you fail to keep your end of the bargain. So this this is the ancient world. A little bit weird to us, yes or yes, but not to them. I mean, they would have thought it weird if they just sat down and signed a few papers, okay, like 500 times, as we do when we buy a house or buy a car. They think, what on earth is that? There's no power in that. Where's the imagery? Where's the drama? They had these dramatic things that they did. And so one of them was, may I be cut in two, as these animals have been cut in two, if I fail to make sure everything I'm responsible to do takes place so that the promise is fulfilled. That's why in the making of a covenant, it is so important to pay attention to one small detail. And that detail is in the making of the covenant between God and Abraham, who was it that walked between the pieces? It was God. It was not Abraham. Were it Abraham, were it Abraham who walked between the pieces, then ultimately, whether or not Abraham and his children received the inherited promised land would have depended on how well they performed their end of the bargain. But because it was God who passed between the pieces, you see, it's guaranteed. And that's why, you see, even though it's Joshua's responsibility, he's got to lead the people into the promised land, he carries out that responsibility in full confidence because he knows the sovereignty of God stands behind him. So which is it? Does inheriting the promise depend upon our responsibility or does it depend upon God's sovereignty? See, we often feel like we have to choose. Now, in all honesty, I can't give you an answer as to how those two truths stick together. It seems to me, like it probably seems to most of us, that it's either our responsibility or it's God's sovereignty. If it's God's sovereignty, it can't be my responsibility. And if it's my responsibility, when how can, how can there be a sovereign guarantee? It's either or. Um, I think of a town that I go to every other summer to teach for crew, Fort Collins, Colorado. Anybody ever been in Fort Collins? If you're, it's a beautiful little town. 
And uh, I forget the name of the street. Maybe it's Magnolia. But there's an old rail line that runs uh, crossways through the town. But it's an old rail line. And all you can see are the rails. Those rails run perfectly parallel to each other. And as far as the human eye can see, there's nothing holding them together. They're just sitting there. But were we to dig up the soil, we would find that there are railroad ties under those rails that hold them together. Now, number one, a train can't run on one rail. It has to have two. And so you can't have either human responsibility or God's sovereignty. You have to have them both. And number two, just like that rail line in Fort Collins, we can't see what holds them together. But God can. And so the secret things belong to the Lord our God. The revealed things belong to us and to our children, Deuteronomy 29, 29. And God, I don't think, has told us what holds these two rails together. He has told us that there are two of them. So what's our task? Our task is to believe and to live out the two teachings of the Bible, that it's our responsibility to enter into heaven and to bring others with us, and we do so dependent on the sovereign grace of God. You see, if we only have the sovereign grace of God, that can produce irresponsibility in us. If we only have our responsibility, that's a weight that will crush us. Isn't God wonderful? in the way he has mapped out the world to operate, that he gives us our responsibility and he bolsters us by teaching us that his sovereign grace guarantees that we will be successful in what we are called to do. So be encouraged uh, because you will succeed. It's your responsibility and know that underneath you and above you and behind you and in front of you and all, and all around you is that sovereign grace of God to guarantee your success in the task. Now that, for me, would be enough. Oh, but God knows that's not really the case. He knows I need more than just that. So he gives us a second word of encouragement in verses 7 to 8. And here's the second word of encouragement. Be encouraged to follow God's instruction. Be encouraged to follow God's instruction. I think at some point I probably told you about um, building that piece of solder furniture knocked together with trying to do it without the instructions because I couldn't find them, but I knew I could because I had done it before and I'm the son of a cabinet maker and it didn't go too well because I didn't follow the instructions. Well, recently we just redid a bedroom. We, re- we redid what we called Aunt Dar's bedroom. Aunt Dar was a wonderful aunt of my wife's and uh, she served in the Christian Missionary Alliance uh, on staff all of her life. She retired uh, down to Shell Point Village in, where is that? Fort Myers. And uh, eventually Dar passed away. And when she passed away, uh, Adele went down and, and picked up some of Dar's furniture. She was just a special aunt to us. And so we, it was bedroom furniture. So we redid one bedroom in the house. And you know how you name things? This was just Dar's room. She had never been there, but it was just Aunt Dar's room. Well, for a number of reasons, it was just time to undo that. So we undid it and we went to Ikea and I got some more of that furniture. <laughs> Yeah, it uh, just three pieces. It took 
all day, but I followed the instructions. I, I, first thing I did, find those instructions. I found the instructions and I followed the instructions. I did have a tweaked lower back the next morning from doing this all day long, but I succeeded because I followed the instructions that had been given. And so that's why God says, be encouraged, not not only because you'll succeed, but especially remembering that it's our responsibility. He goes on to say, be encouraged now that while you're carrying out your task to follow God's instruction. Uh, Let's just look at seven and eight again. Be strong and notice that little word that's added, not just be strong and courageous, but be strong and very courageous. We have some drama building here. Then it says, be, be strong and courageous to what end? Be strong and courageous to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So that second word of encouragement is be encouraged to follow God's instruction. And uh, sometimes it does take courage to obey, doesn't it? Obedience is is always the right thing to do, but it's not always the easy thing to do. Compromise sometimes is much easier in the short run. It's not easier in the long run. But in the short run, it often seems that taking our own path is the best thing to do. It does take courage to obey because sometimes we're just flat out afraid of what we'll experience if we obey God's instructions. My daughter Annie, who's now 21, I remember when she was little, and I can remember it time and time again. One thing I admired about her as a little girl was she always did what she feared. She was honest, and she would say, Daddy, I'm afraid. Maybe it was jumping in a swimming pool. Who knows what it was? I'm afraid. But having voiced her fear, she would always go ahead and do it anyhow. And I, I always admired her as a little girl. Said, Where did she get that? I don't think she got it from Dad. She probably got it from Mom. She just voiced the fear, and then she did it. And that's what God calls us to do as well. It's not that we're not afraid to obey. It's not that we are never afraid to obey. We are afraid. That's okay. That means we're human. We just voice it and we do it anyhow because it's the right thing to do. It takes great courage at times to follow God's instruction. Took courage for Joshua. Takes courage for us. But notice in the text how it's so explicit that you must follow every instruction. Trust me, if in making that furniture two weekends ago, I just decided to skip a few steps, I would not have been successful in my endeavor. You have got to follow every instruction. Notice verse 7. It says, be careful to obey all the law. Verse 8, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. As I've been reflecting on this text, I have no doubt that when Jesus gave the church what we call the Great Commission, he had this text in mind. What did Jesus say? He said, go make disciples 
of all of the nations, teaching them to do at least some of what I have commanded you. Most of what I have commanded you. What did he say? Teach them to do all that I have commanded you. He got that teaching, I think, right out of God's sermon to Joshua. See, as God was giving the task to the Old Testament Jesus, uh, and as Jesus gives the task to the New Testament body of Christ, it's the same task to enter into heaven, to bring others, and we've got to be encouraged to follow God's instruction, not just some of it, but all of it. And that's why the text adds, do not turn to the right uh, or to the left. Now, if we're not going to turn to the right or to the left, we've got to have our bearings. We've got to know what God's instruction is. Here's an experience that I'm sure you've had. Have you ever been out of town in a a place that you don't know and you ask somebody for directions? And they say, for example, it's easy to get there. You know you're in trouble right away when they say it's easy to get there. They say, just go up um, 46th Street and turn left at Prince Otto and then go down the road until you come to Sheets and turn right at Sheets gas station and then when you get to the closed marathon turn left there and it's going to be three blocks down that road that you're going to turn left and the house is right there it's easy now you see in my mind's eye I could follow every one of those instructions right because I knew you probably couldn't follow them because you didn't know. Compare that to a time when somebody's given you instructions to get somewhere when you know the area. When somebody gives you instructions to go somewhere where you know the area, it's easy because you know. That's the point. We, know, we, we have to know God's instructions in order to follow them, which is why the text goes on to say what? It goes on to say Meditate on them. Meditate on them day and night. Meditating on the scriptures. You see, if we were to be meditating according to our modern cultural concept, if we were going to have some five minutes of meditation, two things. The room would be silent. And the goal would be to silence mental activity. That's modern meditation. But ancient Hebrew meditation is just the opposite. If we were meditating, the room would be noisy and we would be engaging our minds in the study of the scriptures. When I grew up, uh, and some of you probably have had this experience, when I grew up, we had Wednesday evening prayer meeting. Yes, remember Wednesday evening prayer meeting? Uh, And the pastor would give a brief, we'd sing a hymn, the pastor would give a brief devotional, and he would say, let's take prayer requests. And then after he took prayer requests, he would say, let's pray. And when he said, let's pray... We would. Everybody prayed out loud simultaneously. And you could just hear the whole congregation praying out loud simultaneously. And then after a certain amount of time, you could hear the volume and the number going down until the room went silent. Pastor closed in prayer. We sang a hymn. We went home. Well, that kind of everybody praying out loud silently, that would be like Hebrew meditation. The word means to, um, the Hebrew word for meditate is used like for the low growl of a lion or the low coo of a dove. 
It's used for inarticulate speech. Have you ever been uh, like at a, at a party of some sort and you can hear somebody in a conversation and you know they're talking, but you can't hear what they're saying? Have you ever been in that situation where you've been in a conversation with somebody and you hear a conversation over here and this one's more interesting than the one you're in? And you, you're doing your best to pay attention, but you really are engaged in this one over here on the other side. It can be embarrassing if you're not skilled at pretending that you're still paying attention when you really want to be in the other. But, okay, that, that inarticulate speech, you can hear people talking, but you don't know what, the, that's haga. that's meditation. Hebrew meditation is a recitation, an out loud reciting of the text. But it's an out loud reciting of the text while you're thinking about every word. See, that's why this text says, do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate. Because meditating is, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart... You see, in the Old Testament, you would meditate by reciting the text out loud and by thinking about it. Thinking about how it applies to your life and what you're going to do with it. And so the text says that you've got to know God's instruction and you know it by meditating on it day and night. That doesn't mean literally that you're meditating on God's word 24-7. Nor does it mean once in the morning and once in the evening It's a figure of speech, day and night, two extremes to communicate a totality. It's a way of saying that you should be meditating on God's word a lot, Uh, daily. What a wonderful gift God has given us when he gives us the Lord's Day, uh, a special day for publicly meditating on God's word uh, as we are doing in a sense now. And what will the result of this be? The result will be success. God says it uh, a couple of times, doesn't he? Uh, Notice he says, uh, um, Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Uh, Be careful to do everything in it, then you will be prosperous and successful. He repeats that twice. So be encouraged to, because you're going to succeed, naturally and logically is followed by be encouraged to follow God's instruction. Because God's instruction manual is your success manual. How many books have been written on how to succeed in this, that, or the other? Uh, they're all kind of modern Johnny-come-latelys of the Bible. In, in, in essence, we could summarize the Bible as the world's oldest and greatest success manual. But not just success for this or that endeavor, success for the big endeavor of entering into heaven and bringing other people with you. So be encouraged. You're going to succeed in this time of transition. Transition times are times for disorientation, for discouragement, but be encouraged. You're going to succeed as a congregation because God has encouraged you to that end. And he's also encouraged you to stay in the word, in public and in private, as the path to that success. Your success is founding in knowing God's instruction and in putting that instruction into place. Now, if that weren't enough, God has one final word, and that is be encouraged for the Lord 
is with you. Verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be... The new NIV says afraid. I like the old one that says terrified. That's, that's a little more drama, right? Uh, do, uh, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. Why not? For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. God gives you increased encouragement. Have you noticed how God builds drama He says, be strong and courageous. Then he says, be strong and very courageous. Then he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. There is a threefold word of encouragement here, but each one gets a little bit more intense. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. So there is a third encouragement here with this added element of do not be terrified, do not be discouraged. Now, why would God say do not be terrified? Why would he bother saying that? Only for one reason. What's that reason? Can somebody voice it? Because it's terrifying. The only reason God says don't be terrified is because he knows we're prone to what? Being terrified. Somebody please tell me why God says do not be discouraged. Because he knows we're prone to being discouraged. Don't you love it? God knows us. He knows that we're prone to being afraid. He knows that we're prone to being discouraged. And in this text, he doesn't reprimand us for it. He doesn't rebuke us for it. He gives us a word of encouragement to move us out of it. In other words, God comes to meet you right where you are. You don't have to be the most courageous Christian in the world to have God come and meet you. You can be terrified. God will come and meet you right there. You can be the most discouraged you have ever been. God will come and meet you right there. He knows that Joshua was prone to be terrified and to be discouraged. And so what did he do? Did he say, I'm not going to use that Joshua guy. He's too prone to being afraid. No, he came right to where Joshua was. He says, Joshua, I get you. I understand You're afraid at times. You're discouraged at times. That's okay. You're a human in this fallen world. I've come because I know who you are. And I I didn't come to do away with you. I I came to meet you right where you are to encourage you, to pick you up. You see, many people do more than they ever thought they could because somebody else thought they could. And God thinks that you can do more than you think that you can do. And so he comes along to encourage you this morning. And he says, there's a lot for you to do in this time of transition as a congregation. And he says, I know that you can do more than you think you can do. And so I've come to be your great encourager. I've come to encourage you to tell you that you're going to succeed. I've come to encourage you to tell you to follow my instructions as the path of your success. I've come to encourage you mainly by saying... I'm going to be with you every step of the way. See, that's a repeated word, isn't it? If we remember those three promises, 
What was the third promise? Verse 5 was the third promise. And that third promise was, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. And what's the third word of encouragement? The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You see, the third word of promise and the third word of encouragement are identical. And they're the only repetition. So out of all the promises and out of all the words of encouragement... This one must be the most important because it has what the scriptures call the testimony of two or three witnesses. The presence of God with keep your eyes focused. Keep your eyes focused. You have a town hall meeting tonight. Those are important. But don't get off track and get focused on the finances and the search committee as if those are the ultimate things you need to keep watch over. Ultimately, where do you need to keep your eyes? You need to keep your eyes focused on the fact that God is with you. Wherever the search committee may be, God is with you. Whatever the finances might be, God is with you. You seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these other things will be added to you. Now again, I have a hunch that when Jesus gave us what we call that great commission, he had Joshua one, one to nine in mind. Because not only did he say, make disciples of the nations by teaching them to do all that I have commanded, but he ended that great commission by saying, you know what? I am going to be with you even to the very end of the age. You see, as assuredly, As Joshua led the people into that promised land, so most assuredly will Jesus lead you into that promised land. And not you alone, but he will empower you to bring many others with him. And we'll celebrate that fact as we turn in a moment to the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray that you would bless this word to each of our hearts. You know where we individually and corporately tend to be afraid and discouraged. And we pray that your word would bolster us. We pray that you would keep us faithful in your word and faithful to your word. And that you, by your sovereign grace, would grant us success in this time of transition as we continue to make progress toward that heavenly city, and as we strive to bring others with us. Praying in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let's uh, stand and sing number six from our SH, Supplemental Hymnal. I remember.
seated, please. The Apostle Paul said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's go back for a moment to Genesis chapter 15. When God passed between the pieces and God said, May I be cut in two, even as these animals have been cut in two, if I fail to do everything necessary to make sure that the promise is fulfilled, that my people enter into the promised land and they bring others with them. Well, you see, because we, as the people of God, have not kept covenant with God, uh, God did end up, so to speak, having to be cut in two in order that all of those promises might be fulfilled. We see here in the celebration of the Lord's Supper yet another, another word of encouragement, so to speak, God not only gives us promises in his word, he not only gives us words of encouragement in his word, but then he gives us the visual sign. Uh, You know, we have different learning styles, don't we? Some of us learn by hearing, some of us learn by seeing, some of us learn by touching. And uh, God knows that. And so he he wants to add to the kind of auditory process of listening to his word this morning he wants to add to that a word of encouragement to us, not one that we'll hear, but one that we'll see, one that we'll feel, and one that we'll taste. And as we use these other senses, God, through those senses, is saying to us, you will succeed. No, no obstacle will be too great. Stay in the word, and above all, remember that I will be with you to the very end. And how do we know that God will be with us to the very end? Because we're going to see it in the Lord's Supper. We're going to see just how far God will go to keep his promises. We're going to see it. We're going to feel it in our hands. We're going to taste it in our mouths. God is good. And so he invites all of you who are members of this or another evangelical congregation to come and to experience uh, this added experience of encouragement through our senses, through the senses other than our ears, that we might be assured in our faith and that we might do everything that we possibly can in dependence upon God's sovereign grace in this time of transition to make it all the way to heaven and to bring others with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord's Supper, for this bread and for this cup. And we pray that you would now set it apart for special use, that it might be to us the body and the blood of Christ, that we might see how, uh, how certain the promises of God are, that we might feel the surety of your presence with us, that we might taste your goodness and that we might go from here ready in dependence upon your grace to live in keeping with your word. Praying in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread which had been uh, blessed, and as I have blessed it, and he said to his disciples, take this and eat of it, and as you do, remember me. Uh, Remember the extent to which I will go to make sure that you enter into heaven and that you bring others with you. The body of Christ broken so that you will make it all the way to heaven. See it, feel it, taste it. In the same way, after the supper, He took the cup and he gave thanks for it as I have done in his name. And he said, drink all of this. This is the blood of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of sins.
the blood of Christ that not only guarantees that you will make it all the way to heaven, but that you will be bringing other people along with you. See it, feel it, taste it. Father, through this bread and through this cup, we pray that you would seal to our hearts all of your good words of promise and all of your good words of encouragement. Grant that we might go forth from this place uh, instructed and encouraged and full of hope. Praying in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let's respond by standing and singing number 255, O Jesus, we adore thee. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you might uh, continue to do everything in God's instruction manual in order to make it all the way into heaven as a congregation and in order to bring others with you. Lift up your hearts and receive the blessing of God because it's his empowerment that you need to do just that. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace.